Uh, here in this space, we're going to gather around God's Word, uh, reading from uh, the letter of the church in Rome, from Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, following uh, through the, the first half of verse 6. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me there, Romans 12, beginning in verse 1 and following on. If you don't have your Bibles with you, the words will be on the screen as we together hear the Word of the Lord. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, these members do not have the same function. So in Christ, we, though many, uh, though many, form one body and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace God has given to each of us. This is God's word offered to us in its reading and its hearing, and together we give thanks to the Lord God Almighty. Uh, would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Gracious and loving God, what an extraordinary gift your word is. What a humbling opportunity we have to hear from you. Lord, we trust in your word and we know that it is a gift. So we ask, oh God, that you would make yourself known to us in new and fresh ways as we hear from you this morning. We pray that you would open our eyes that we would see, open our ears that we would hear, open our minds that we would come to know and understand your word, open our hearts that we would feel its power, and in response we ask, oh God, that you would open our hands that we would offer grace on your behalf to the world. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. This spring, we as a church offered a, a challenge and an invitation uh, that, that was uh, a unique opportunity uh, for uh, reading the Scripture. And we were reading uh, the New Testament, but in this, in this new, unique, and different way, it was reading the New Testament through a study called Immerse. And uh, among other things, uh, it set up an opportunity for us to read the Scriptures as they were uh, originally presented, uh, as a flow, as a letter, or as a story. So what it did is it took out all of the, the chapter numbers. It took out all of the verse numbers. It, it took out all of the labels and the headers in bold, and it even took out the footnotes at the bottom so that you read a letter from Paul as a continuous Word as a letter, and you read the gospel of Jesus Christ as a continuous story sharing God's love 
for the world. And, and I thought that it was absolutely fantastic. It opened my eyes to things in Scripture that I had been blind to because of the format and the structure that we have added on to Scripture over the course of the centuries. Chapter numbers, verse numbers, footnotes, and headings. There, there might not be a more prominent example of how my eyes were opened to God's Word in a new and fresh way than what we read this morning. In Romans chapter 12, it is common for us to read verses 1 and 2 as a distinctive unit. And then read verse 3 and following as a separate and also distinctive unit. And, and we're encouraged to do so by the way that it is presented in your Bibles. If you have your Bible still out, you'll probably see some header in between verse 2 and verse 3. Mine says, humble service in the body of Christ. And basically it's saying, stop. You've read, pause, digest what has taken place, pause, and now continue on this new biblical adventure. But that's not how it was originally written, and it's actually not how the scriptures uh, should be understood. In fact, the, the, the words offer a very clear presentation that these two things are interconnected, interrelated. At the beginning of verse 3, there's a simple word. It says for. In the Greek, the context for that word for is a continuation of thought. That's literally the function of that word in the Greek. And so now we continue the thought. Well, that's disruptive, isn't it? That we have a big fat header as it says, and now we're continuing our thought. So what would it be for us to see this passage as interconnected and understand that two and three complement one another in such a profound way that, that it informs how we know and understand God and who we are in Christ? And so we're going to spend our time today in verse 2 and 3 exclusively. So if you have your Bibles out, you could follow along as we journey through the text do not be conformed to the patterns of this world. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. It's, it, it, it draws or begs the question, uh, what stands out for you in the world? Are, are there some things that when you see them, they just don't seem to compute, don't seem to make sense? This week, I witnessed a lot of that as we were on our student ministry's mission trip. Things that just don't make sense. To begin with, we had 19 students that went, and for the first time, the majority of those students were 16 or older. And most of those 16 or older students have jobs. And many of them... Uh, have jobs that, that, they, that give them money, and they then took their money and paid to go on a mission trip. Now, these students, like summer is prime earning time, amen? Like it's the time when you can make money that could last you for the year. And, and, and there are students that actually went and told their bosses when they got their summer job, boss, I'm going to be gone this week. Boss says, well, what are you going to be doing? 
What beach are you going to? What mountain are you going to? What country are you going to? And they tell their boss, no, 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 no. It's not a vacation. I'm going on a mission trip. That doesn't make sense. It just doesn't make In fact, we had a student who makes $450 a week. And that student paid their own way to go on student ministry mission trip $425. Said student had an $875 delta for that one week of youth mission trip. That doesn't make sense. How beautiful it is to see those things that just don't compute when compared to the patterns of this world. You know what else doesn't make sense? Junior high students roofing. <laughs> Come on, testify. Come on now. Like, on your house, there are two things that are the most important. Number one, the foundation. And number two, the roof. We had rising 7th and rising 8th graders re-roofing houses. And they did a beautiful job. I don't know what's more. Yeah, come on now. I don't know what's I don't know what's more miraculous that we had 7th and 8th graders roofing or that they did a miraculously beautiful job. It's awesome. In fact, we had, we had a 7th grader and an 8th grader s- sitting there at the final ridge cap. You know, the entire roof is done. Everything is sealed, signed, and delivered for Miss Herrera. And they take the hammer and nail the last nails in the ridge cap. How awesome is that? You know what else doesn't make any sense? Roofing in San Antonio <laughs> in July... When the real temp, not feels like, is 105. Come on now. (laughs) That is crazy. One of our leaders sweated so much, he had to have heat warmers in his shoes at night to try to dry out his shoes. And it didn't work because we lost that much weight in sweat. And these students, they poured out their heart, they poured out their lives, and they poured out their sweat. And it didn't make sense. According to the patterns of this world, they didn't have to do it, but they did it as a sign of their love for Jesus Christ. These are the kinds of things we could look for. Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world. Let us see how we can live in contrast to the world. See, we're, we're to live in the world, but to not be of the world. Those two things are distinctive. We walk through life day to day just like everyone else. However, We have purpose, we have function, and we have an understanding of our role in the world that we are Christ's hands and feet as his disciples each and every day. Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. 
Now, much is said about that, this, this renewing of the minds that leads to transformation and our, our desire for transformation, our, our yearning for transformation so that we can become more and more like that one Jesus Christ who calls us to live for him. But, but for us to understand that, what transformation through the renewing of our minds looks like. I want to invite us to just, just put a pin in that, to hold that on the side for a second and see what, what else comes forward in the passage that can help better define that for us. That we would be transformed by the renewing of our minds and then we will, do you see this at the end of verse 2, we will be able to test and approve What's God's will for us? His good, pleasing, and perfect will. I mean, this is a, this is a, a huge assumption that has to be named for us as Christians. That we believe God has a will, a desire, a direction for us. And for the world, for each and every one of us. Now, now, we as, as Methodists are people who believe in free will, believe that we worship a God who does not coerce a relationship with us, but, but pursues us, and in the midst of that pursuit gives us the freedom to choose God, to choose a relationship with God. But sometimes free will people fall short because we miss the fact that God does indeed have a will for us. Sometimes we can get so caught up in the fact that we have free will that we ignore the fact that God has a will as well. And so we need to come to understand and claim that God has a desire for us. And did you see how, how that, that, that will is defined? The characteristics of it, it is good, it is pleasing, and it is perfect. God's will is good, pleasing, and perfect. Each one of those could be an entire sermon all unto themselves. And so we're going to do that. 30 minutes on each. Ready? Go. No, no, no. But we'll save that for another day. But God's will is good. God's will for you is good. And that can be hard for us because sometimes in life we are so traumatized, so beat up. Uh, we experience such, uh, such grief or such pain that, that we can say, where is God's will in this and how in the world could it be good? But we live in this framework of, of free will. And when others' free will is opposed to God's will or when our will is opposed to God's will, harm, pain, trauma will take place. But even in those hardest moments, God's will for you is still yet good, which is why we believe that God is always, always working things out for good for those that love him. God's will, even in the trauma for you, is good. God's will is pleasing. Now, we, we think that our will is pleasing that our will will lead to pleasure. 
Uh, in fact, most of our will is surrounded by this idea of pleasure, that I'm going, that I'm going to do this thing that, that, that will lead to the outcome that will be pleasing to me. And so we, we, we strive after it and we pursue it. But in this way, we, we come to doubt that God's will is indeed pleasing. Because sometimes God's will calls for, uh, leads us to make a sacrifice or step away from something or to lean into trusting in him all the more. And when we do that, it will lead to greater, more substantive pleasure than our own will could ever lead to. All too often, Our will leads to something that is pleasing in a fleeting moment, in a temporary way, in a circumstance that does not lead to perpetual gratification, but rather temporary. And so we are to reframe our desires no longer after our own, our will no longer after our own, but in God's will that is indeed pleasing. God's will is good, it's pleasing, and God's will is perfect. God's will is perfect. Not part of the time. Not some of the time. Not when it is convenient or when we agree. God's will is always perfect and will always lead to better for you and for me. You see, we, uh, we uh, look at the patterns of this world and these patterns of this world that we want to conform our will to, to that they, uh, they have a definition and a process for success, a definition and a process for framing up priorities, a definition and a process for framing up values. But whenever we see success values and priorities from the world's lens and not from God's, we will always fall short. And the more we conform our will to the world's view and patterns, the more clear it becomes that our will is not good, is not pleasing, and is not perfect. But God's always is. So then we see the turn, this turn to, to verse 3 uh, that, that, it, that is now, uh, we, we know, is, is interconnected with verse 2, is bound up with it. And so when we hear the word for, we know that we're entering into a continuation for, Paul says, by the grace given me, I say to every one of you. And what he's, what he's saying here is, is, I am as you are. I'm a man who's fallen and broken and in need of a Savior. And I've experienced the saving grace that I did not deserve in Jesus Christ. And whenever I received that grace, it's from that position that I proclaim. I don't proclaim as one who's, who's other than or uniquely different. I am as you are in need of grace, and I have it. And so I call out to you as a brother and sister in Christ. And here's what he says. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Rather, think of yourself with sober judgment. 
Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Now, some of you are like me, and, and you think to yourself, well, that's not my leading problem. My leading problem is I think of myself as less than I should. Well, self-loathing is a real concern for us and for our society. But what Paul is talking about is, is two specific things that are coming forward from the Scripture and ways that, and things that actually apply to, to most of us at some point, if not actually apply to us today. That we think of ourselves more highly than we ought and we do not have sober judgment. When we connect that invitation to reframe how we think of ourselves and we do so in light of verse 2, what is the obvious conclusion? We all too often place our will above God's will. We think of ourselves so highly that we think our will is better than God's will. That our desires are better than God's desires. That our leading is better than God's leading. And, and, and it's in the way we frame up questions. When we, when we were on mission trip, we were asking some of the students, we were like, like, hey, what do you want to do with your life? And where do you want to go to school? And they're talking about the colleges they want to go to. They're talking about what they want to study. And they're talking about what they want to be. We didn't ask, what does God want for your life and from your life? What is God's will and desire for your life? If we would have asked better questions, maybe we would have gotten better answers. But we don't ask those questions because we are conformed to this world such that we think our thoughts are better than God's thoughts. We think our will is better than God's will, and we are wrong every single time. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Have sober judgment. First and foremost, what he's saying is soberly and humbly Approach the throne of grace and say to our Heavenly Father, Lord, what is your will for me? I trust in it. The second way that Paul is, is inviting us into this, this sober judgment is, is what follows. It says, it says, then you will live in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. I love that phrase. You will live in accordance to the faith that God has distributed to each of you. Now that raises some questions and maybe we have some misconceptions about what faith is. But it, it, it seems to articulate that, that each and every one of us are distributed faith. Even before we have faith. That it's been given to us. But have we received it? We don't... We don't, we don't necessarily receive it yet, but it's been given to us. And it also draws some questions about, like, is there more faith or more unique faith that's given to individuals for different seasons and in different circumstances? It seems to allude to that because God is distributing faith individually, perfect, uh, personally, in an intimate way. But here's the other challenge. Oftentimes for believers, we think that our faith is something that we have done. 
We, we, we have elevated uh, our understanding of our own faith as a conviction that we have attained, a belief that we have achieved. And that is absolutely contrary to the definition of the word faith here in the Greek. It's the word pistis in the Greek. This word for faith in Greek is pistis. And I want you to hear this description of the word pistis uh, because it, it, it provides such greater depth and context and it helps us to understand that our, uh, our, under, our entrance into this text with an understanding of faith really falls woefully short. Here's what pistis means. Pistis, faith, is always a gift from God Pistis, faith, is always a gift from God and never something that can be produced by people. In short, pistis, faith, for the believer is God's divine persuasion. Faith is God's divine persuasion and therefore is distinct from human belief or that failing understanding of confidence. Yet, it involves it. Ooh, look at the intertwine there. God's divine persuasion and our involvement in belief and confidence. This commingling of God's activity in our lives and our own understanding. And then here, here's the, the clincher for me. The Lord continuously births pistis, faith, in the yielded believer so that they can know what he prefers. The Lord continuously births faith in the yielded believers so they can know what he prefers. If you want to know God's will, then, then, then you will receive God's divine persuasion and, and, and come to receive that confidence from the Lord. And that is how we will know how to submit to God's good, perfect, and pleasing will. This is what a, re a renewed mind looks like. It's receiving divine persuasion. This is what transformation looks like. It's no longer uh, uh, adopting our own will as the guiding principle for our life, but rather leaning into God's will, knowing that it is always enough. More than enough, in fact. Brothers and sisters, we see the patterns of this world all around us every day. And they're inviting and enticing us to dismiss God's will and to elevate our own. God's word is inviting us into a different place. As believers in Jesus Christ, we are called to yield to God's will understanding that it is good, perfect, and pleasing. And when we humble ourselves in that way, God is glorified around us and in us and through us. 
then the world might say, this just doesn't make sense. But it makes sense to those who believe. Would you pray with me? Gracious and loving God, give us faith. Give us faith as we lack. Give us faith that passes understanding. Give us faith that that, uh, will endure each and every trial of life. And Lord, root our faith in the knowledge and truth that your will is good, pleasing, and perfect. Lord, help us to, to, to be yielded believers, to be those that, 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 uh, that, that submit our lives, lay them before your heavenly throne, and trust that you have something for us. Lord, you love us so much that you use us. You call us, you invite us, and you, you lead us forth into the world. So, Lord, we ask, oh God, that you would that you would compel us and that we would receive your divine persuasion. Transform us by the renewing of our minds. Lord, as we continue in worship and we enter into this time of offering, I pray, I ask, oh God, that you would bless both the gift and the giver alike, that these gifts would go to the transforming work of ministry in the world, that more would come to know the saving grace of your son, Jesus Christ, through them. And Lord, I pray that, that these givers would, uh, would be blessed as well, that as we, as we learn the gift of giving resources away, of holding these gifts from you open-handed, Lord, that, that you would bless each and every one of us as well. Lord, we thank you for your work amongst us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.